This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 13, verses 31 to 37. And you can find this on page 725 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided in the chair pockets or at the end of the aisles. Again, Mark, chapter 13, verse 31 to 37. Jesus said to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is God's word. The uh, doctrine of the second coming, Christ's final big R return, may seem to many of us irrelevant. It's already mysterious. As we saw last week, uh, Jesus' many statements about signs read such that we sought to decode it, simplify it, and finally show how it reveals the Father's character during crisis. It's not just the mysterious quality, it's the future tense, I think, that makes it seem so irrelevant. It's the the tomorrow return seems irrelevant, right, for how, how you and I live today. My hope this morning is that we see that the doctrine of Jesus' second and final coming is not only relevant for life, no matter where you live, but... Jesus' teaching here is specifically relevant, particularly relevant, living in a place like Cayman in the 21st century. If that's the case, let's pray that God helps us apply it to life. Jesus, even in your teaching here, you remind us of the relevance of your words, that what I say to you, I say to you all. So it's not only for the super-spiritual whose thoughts are only on heaven, nor the super saintly who suffer like you and for you. You say this to all, including us. And every so often a passage of Scripture comes along that seems particularly relevant and prophetic for the time and place in which we live. This seems to be such a passage, Jesus, but I'll leave that up to you. Holy Spirit, leave that up to you. Just give us ears to hear, please, and hearts to apply and receive. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. A month ago, I was catching up with a friend over lunch uh, whom I asked, just very simply, hey man, what's God teaching you in your life? And his response was framed around his reality of having lived in Cayman, moved into a, a metropolitan urban area, urban city, and then moved back here to Grand Cayman. And he said, you know, my struggle, Ryan, is, it's totally different here. It, it, it's, it's easy in many ways here in Cayman. There's not the same kind of resistance. 
competition, you know, sort of urgency to my life. I mean, Cayman's my home, but here I have to fight the tendency to sleepwalk in my relationship with God. And when he said that, just that one word, sleepwalk, it just really hit me, it resonated with me about life here in Cayman. You see, as we got to talk about this more, and he talked about his life and sort of the urban, big city environment, and pardon me, by the way, for generalizations. Some generalizations have a kernel of truth. Many cities, the, the, the scenery, it's kind of bleak. It's gray. The conditions are, are often cold in any big city. But more obvious then is the need to stay vigilant, to find comfort in Christ, to celebrate the moments of beauty that God brings and breaks into your life. In a bigger city, day-to-day activity, it's complex, it's frenetic. There's a lot more gray area to work through. More obvious then is the deep reliance on Jesus to help you navigate through life. In a bigger city, there's noise, noise everywhere. Not just the noise of the city streets, but the external demands on time, the internal pressures we put on ourselves to measure up, to promote ourselves in competition. And so it's more obvious than is the need to rely on Jesus' promises that say, look, if you humble yourself, I will lift you up in due time. If you humble yourself, I will show you grace while opposing the proud. Life in a place like Cayman is different. And some of you remain here. You continue to live here. Maybe you've lived here all your lives. Or you came here for some of these reasons. Beauty. Simplicity. Quiet. We love that about Cayman. Beauty. Man, this place, I mean, you just walk down Seven Mile Beach or Smith Cove, East End. It's just a slice of heaven. Almost anywhere you go. Yet Jesus warns us in verse 31, doesn't he? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. See, we can try to create and came in our own little heaven on earth, can't we? Sort of a a permanent or extended escape. And Jesus says there's a better escape for which to live. And even his words about it are more permanent than the beauty of this island from which the, the starry hosts of heaven are laid out. Us. But we fall asleep in the idea that this is it, right? All this is it. There's a simplicity about living here. There's only so much to do, and for many of you, very little extended family with whom to do it. And you combine that with industries based around financial wealth, it encourages many of us to store up what we earn, right? To find security in wealth and we slumber away, right? just kind of move along, calling it natural. Meanwhile, the rest of the world suffers. There's also a, a quietness about living here, isn't there? The noise of urban life is, is a mist, it's not around. But present is quiet with those you love, solitude with Him. Also in the quiet, though, are self-indulgence, isolation, and the freedom to stay quiet to suffering. To sort of ignore what's going on out there and don't say anything about it. Along comes Jesus to say to sleepwalking saints, 
who live in a time and place like this. Be on guard. Keep awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. And one final time, as as if he's sounding this alarm to which we can no longer push the snooze. Stay awake. I hope we see this morning that the doctrine of Jesus' second and final turn is a relevant reality designed to transform those of us prone to sleepwalk through life. He can use the second coming to transform us into diligent workers, number one, and alert intercessors, number two. So we're just going to talk about those two applications of the second coming to our lives. First, it can transform us, this reality, into diligent workers. As we start to work through this passage, Jesus describes his return as being on any day, a normal day, and specifically a normal day of work. So first, any day. So as to stress the futility of trying to figure out all the signs in such a way that you can find a date on the calendar and circle it, Jesus says, hey, not even the sun knows the day nor the hour. And yet people still try to find that out. It could be on any day, but also a normal day. Which is interesting, because everything we read last week, after all the magnified signs of tribulation and suffering and persecution and the intense work, witnessing and enduring, that lead up, that crescendo to this actual day of His final return, the actual day will be a pretty normal day. (laughs) It'll be a pretty typical day. And not just a normal day, but a day that we do the things we typically do, which is work. Verse 34, it's like a man going on a journey. He leaves his home. Think of your boss going away. Leaves his home, puts his servants in charge, and commands the doorkeeper to do his one job, to stay awake. Verse 35, he might return in the evening. He might return at midnight. He might return in the morning or when the rooster crows, which is confusing for those of us who live here. That could mean any time, right? It's different back then as you see in your footnote. Jesus has physically left us, but he's left behind for us responsibilities to which he's, he's, in, he's entrusted to us responsibilities, but also the authority to do them. That's literally what in charge means here in verse 34, exousia, authority. He's empowered us with the ability to do the work he's entrusted to us. So stay awake and do it. A favorite speaker and author of mine, uh, this Irishman, Os Guinness, he tells a true story uh, set in like the late 18th century. It took place in the state legislature, legislature of the United States' fifth state, uh, state of Connecticut, The delegates were were working hard and they were debating by the daylight. And something happened right in the middle of their debate in this legislature. This eclipse just broke into the day and made everything go to darkness. Some legislators actually thought that it was the second coming. This big, the big clamor arose, people's voices started getting louder and louder until some were saying, oh my gosh, we, we need to stop. We need to adjourn. 
We need to, to leave this place. We've got to pray and prepare for what's going on. God is returning. But the Speaker of the House, you know, pounded his gavel. He had a different idea. And he said, sit down. If the Lord is returning, I, for one, choose to be found doing my duty. I therefore ask that candles be brought. I was like, yes. Isn't that, doesn't that fire you up? I know it's like 18th century. We don't, have, we don't use candles anymore. But like, if Jesus, is, if Jesus can come any time, let the candles be brought. Let's get to work for him. That fires me up. <laughs> Jesus, any time normal day return should motivate us to, to keep going, to keep our hand to the plow. Even as the afternoon post-lunch sloth kicks in. You know what I'm talking about? When you want to, around 2 o'clock, curl up in your office chair like it's a sofa. Right? Or you, you look longingly at your two-year-old's blanket, kind of want to t- snatch it from them and just curl up right there and then. Forsake all responsibilities and let the world just pass you by. And I think, you know, that's, that's nothing new. Those in medieval times actually had a name for this. They called it the noonday devil. Isn't that a great name for that time of day? Here comes the noonday devil. Stops you from being able to think, being able to work. You have to really fight through it. And such lethargy, such sloth is thematic for larger aspects of life. It's really in the middle of things where we often get kind of stuck. The newness of something wears off, but we can't quite see the finish line either to just finish well. It's stuck in between, sluggishly plugging away in our routine. We just have a hard time keep going. That's why Jesus' words are so applicable. People speak of having a midlife crisis. Because they think, man, if I keep sleepwalking in this direction, I'm just going to fall asleep completely and my life will be worth nothing. It's in the middle of things that Jesus speaks to us and says, stay awake. I pray the reality of our Savior's anytime normal day appearance on your scene, that it can give you the jolt you might need. The fact that Jesus' any moment return is more sure and lasting than the right to pamper yourself, right? And take a break from your family. Take a break from your kids. Take a break from your spouse. Take a break from loving your neighbor. No. Jesus might return at any moment. What do we want to, for Him to see us doing? If you're weary of God routine in your life, and maybe this is your God routine on Sunday mornings, keep stepping into those disciplines He has appointed because the day, today might be the day you meet Him face to face. He meets you in this moment. So let the candles be brought and stay awake. He might find us doing our duty. What does that do, though? What, what does actually working do? in our relationship with Jesus. We think it's going to please Him. So what does it do? Well, strictly speaking, it does nothing. It does nothing to our status with Him. We work neither for the purpose of getting guilt-free, nor in order to sort of, I just want to do my part for the church or for Jesus. Not about that, guys. It's For those who trust Him, Jesus absorbed the guilt so you don't have to. And in doing so, he already established you as part of this family of His. 
So no additional work is required to sort of earn a seat at his table. It's already secured for you by simple faith in Jesus. Working in you know, sort of the God-given responsibilities he's entrusted to you is not like this young man I once counseled regarding his work situation. He had lost all motivation at work. and He was struggling to carry on, which became obvious to his boss, who was also a Christian. So I asked him, you know, how, how did she confront you? And he said, you know, she gave me a long, bit of a long lecture. But she ended by saying, plus, Jesus can return any moment. You don't want him to condemn your butt for doing nothing of value, right? <laughs> That's a direct quote. Condemn your butt. <laughs> Working diligently is a response to his permanent and justifying love. It's loving your Savior back. It's commendation, not condemnation. In other words, you stay diligent in work that he's assigned to you, not because you fear condemnation from a judge, but because you don't want to miss out on the reward of his commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear that when he returns? I'm so pleased. It's more like um, this little girl whose, whose daddy, an Air Force pilot, was given permission to fly home after his 300th mission. He told his family it would be Sometime in the next six months. I don't know when I'm going to come home, but I'm going to come home in the next six, next six months. He didn't know when. He couldn't give warning. So his buddies and he drove all night. And when they dropped him off in his driveway just after sunup, there was a huge banner across the garage. Welcome home, Dad. And immediately his first question was, oh my gosh, like how did they know? He was about three months into the warning. How did they know? No one had called the crew themselves didn't even know they were going to leave so quickly. His little girl Susan came running down the hall, and she looked terrific. She, her, her hair was fixed up. Her makeup was on. She had this beautiful sundress, yellow dress. She looked beautiful. Gave her a big hug. Finally, with tears in the eyes, how did you know? And she said, I, I didn't, Daddy. We, we just got ready every day. Every day. You know, food ready, banner up, hair fixed, makeup on, dress fitted. Because she thought it would make her dad love her more? No. She just wanted to please him. She wanted to see that smile on his face as he hugged her. So would we carry on and keep working because the day is the day he might return. And we want to see that smile of our Savior. So keep at it. Keep at it so you might hear well done when he returns. That's the first thing. This is the return of Jesus any moment, any day, as you're working for him, can make you more a diligent worker. It can also make you into a more alert intercessor. The second coming of Jesus is tough for most of us because we live, frankly, in an affluent society that likes all the things I mentioned, the beauty, the simplicity, the quiet, but also kind of the sleepiness through life. But the second coming of Jesus is good news, especially to those whose lives are filled with bad news. Especially for those whose lives are filled with bad news. The woman in another maybe church fellowship who has tried with her husband only to experience a miscarriage again and again. 
the Christian whose body has been utterly spent by cancer, its remission, then its return. It's, it's those who suffer as Christians and those who suffer because they're Christians all over the world, from slave trades to forced confessions. These are the people for whom the good news of Jesus' return is truly good news. Every day, at every moment. They look forward to the day Jesus returns to restore everything back to its rightful place. As we saw last week in verses 34 through 37 of chapter 13, sun, moon, planets, stars, they're all going to give way to Jesus coming in the clouds with great power and glory as he takes his rightful place and restores everything else to its rightful place. It's the image of all we hold powerful, fixed, unchangeable. Sun, moon, planets, stars. People navigate their lives by these things. They will bow down before the Savior. They'll lose their light. They will shake. They will fall. Including sin, Satan, disease, and despair. They will fall as well when he returns. Lives filled with bad news may not describe you. But by and large, they describe those on whom we're called to have compassion. Those for whom we're supposed to labor. So maybe you don't long for Jesus' return yet. But in this passage, Jesus shows us the primary way we can start to demonstrate compassion for those who do hope for His return. Who hope for Him to come and just restore all the bad stuff that's wrong in their life. So let's look at that. What what does Jesus mean when He exhorts us three times here to stay awake? Stay awake. Stay awake. The New American Standard translation of of the New Testament translates all three as be alert. The NIV translates it as keep watch. They're all part of the same Greek word, which is also the word for Gregory, interestingly enough. Verse 35, stay awake. Be alert. Keep watch. Lest He come suddenly and find you asleep. Now that sounds familiar. It should. It's meant to. It describes the one, the one time when Jesus, the suffering servant, asked his disciples to pray for him. Which is the turning of the tables, right? The ultimate turning of the tables. Pray for me. Keep watch for me. Stay alert for me. I'm going to quote at length from Matthew's Gospel, which gives us more detail on this one incident. Matthew 26, verses 36-45. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with Me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And as he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So you could not watch with me even for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit's indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he returned. He came and he found them asleep. What does that sound like? 
Chapter 13, right? For their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away, prayed a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand. See, Jesus asked his disciples to stay awake, stay alert, keep watching prayer for the strength to endure suffering until the Father restores the Son. Pray for me for this cup I'll have to endure that I'm going to submit to. Stay awake and keep watch, friends, when Peter, James, and John could not. Unlike you saints, they had not yet the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives at this point. They fell asleep as the Savior suffered. We can stay awake and watch in prayer for the saints who suffer. I want to pray that God will give each suffering strength Sorry, suffering saint, strength to endure until Jesus comes and restores their life. Our family, you know, including contributions for our boys, that we sponsor an 11-year-old boy in Honduras uh, whose father is uh, just a, a day laborer and he struggles to provide for his family. And the kid struggles already with limited education and a learning disability. Garrison's his name. We intercede nightly for Garrison. It's one of the things we pray for as a family. And our kids always ask. It's so awesome. They always say, Dad, Dad, don't forget. Let's pray for Garrison. And, you know, we, we pray that God will bring him out of a cycle of poverty in his life and suffering. We can't be guaranteed that. What we can trust is if Garrison trusts Jesus, he can look forward to one day his Savior returning and making all the wrongs right to his life. And that's the idea here. We pray for strength for him. Strength to endure all the hardships he faces now and maybe in his future. The elders and I want to aid you in such watchful, alert, awake, intercessory prayer. So in our next prayer vigil, which is going to be three weeks from now, on November 1st, we're, going to, we're calling it Stay Awake for Suffering Saints. Uh, in fact, the image up here for this has been created by our own Dorothy O'Hara. Did a wonderful job with it. But we want to call every person. As Jesus says here, what I say to you, I say to you all, to stay awake and keep watch for suffering saints. It has been a year of saints suffering. I want to encourage you, sign up for, for one hour, two hours, three hours. Can you, as Jesus said, can, you, can we not pray and stay awake for one hour for people who are suffering That's what a vigil means, by the way. A period of watchful alertness or attention when you might otherwise be asleep. We're so tempted to fall asleep in our relationship with God here in Cayman. We're going to have an opportunity to keep watch for those in the church who suffer. Stay alert for those locally who suffer and require divine strength to carry on. Stay alert for saints abroad who suffer as Christians and because they're Christians. As right now, in places like Syria... Iraq, Christian families. Fathers and mothers are having to sit down and talk to their young children about what if men with swords come into their home yelling at them, threatening them. What should they do? They're having to sit down with their kids and talk about 
what they should do if these men come and interrogate them about their faith in Jesus. And mom and dad are having to explain, well, we, were we planning to stand up for Jesus? In this moment, we're even going to talk about the love that he has, even for these men, that they can trust Jesus and have eternal life in him. But also to, to, to say to them, you know, they might hurt daddy and mommy, even killed them, but not to fear because daddy and mommy are no longer in pain, but before the face of Jesus, completely restored. The return of Jesus and the restoration of all things is the best news for those who face unspeakably bad news. Guys, let's help them endure, keep watch, stay alert, and join with them in prayer. Let's start now. God, we're grateful for our blessings here. We're grateful for a place of beauty, a place where we can celebrate you freely, a place of quiet and repose. We also recognize Jesus. For many of us, we've fallen asleep. We've been sleepwalking in our relationship with God. Father, help us stay awake and labor in every work to which you've called us. Every work to which you've called us. Knowing that you might come at any time and we want to make you smile. Every work to which you've called us, which includes interceding for suffering saints. Even now, we lift them up to you. Those families that are having to have this conversation. Moms and dads with their kids. Grandparents with their adult children. Villages. Friends. People praying for each other. Will we not pray for them too, Father? Help us. Please help us. Father, I also want to pray this morning for those who aren't necessarily sleepwalking saints, but are the walking dead. They have not yet, as Ephesians 2 describes, the walking dead. They follow the course of this world. Help them also recognize that Jesus now offers his good news gift of salvation. That he will take anyone who just looks to him and puts their faith in him. But when he returns, that offer will no longer be available. Help them take that seriously and be awakened to that reality. We love you, Jesus. Please come. Amen.